Hello all you seekers, explorers and renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience Podcast, I'm your host Christopher Lemke. For today's podcast we have a special guest with us, Nick Rothwell, who's uh, used his experiences in life and uh, ups and downs as it were to bring healing to people by connections, to allow people to understand the value of connections, which is one of the lessons he's brought with him from uh, his experiences in life. As you will notice, uh, Nick is uh, extremely generous in his vulnerability, sharing his stories without any uh, pretty packaging, as it were. With the emergence of social media and other technological advances, we do find ourselves uh, connecting less and less on a human level and connecting less and less with nature the less connected we are, we are also losing out on uh, empathy for our fellow humans and animals and nature and so forth. And we we'll just lose that connection with everything else, which allows us to insulate ourselves and start blaming our challenges on the external world because it becomes objectified. When we objectify our external environment, people, plants, animals, and so forth, we don't connect with it and we are then allowing ourselves to really not care about it. One of the main catalysts in this process is, of course, that we lose the connection with ourselves as well. If we don't have a connection with ourselves, we can't connect with anybody else either. So we are discussing many of these topics as we go through this uh, conversation today and uh, hope you will enjoy it. I should also mention that in the beginning here, Nick's microphone is not working very well. So uh, unfortunately, the sound when he's speaking is not of the highest quality, but uh, you will notice that it changes after about five minutes as we sort out the technical issue. So. I hope you have uh, patience with the technological challenges here. If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. And this comes from uh, Mother Teresa. And I'll repeat that because it is deep and we might have to allow it to sink in a little bit. If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. So today we have uh, we are very honored and privileged to have uh, Nick Rothwell from uh, Retribe with us, um, and uh, Nick will shortly introduce himself. But uh, the topic today that I wanted to bring forward is this notion about connection. Uh, and connecting with each other, connecting with people, connecting with people outside of our comfort zone, um, and what connection means to us as human beings, and what what it means to our survival and mental well-being. Um, and this is uh, something that Nick works on uh, with a daily basis uh, with Retribe. So as you can hear, it's retribing it's uh, getting back to the tribe getting back to uh, the people that we resonate with uh, so welcome nick rothwell to our little uh, eclectic mix of people here <laughs> thanks thanks for having me christa uh christopher i was gonna say cara uh nikki and michelle was it michelle well, or we jesse? Got nikki yeah, and uh, jesse 
Jesse, yeah, hi. Thanks for, for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you uh, about a topic that, I mean, is essential in my life. I've discovered it's essential in a lot of other people's lives too. And I, I'm, I'm liking the quote right off the bat. I didn't really hear the quote that much, but you said it was from Mother Teresa. And as you said, Mother Teresa, that just sent me down a rabbit hole of how much I love Mother Teresa. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so... Um, which I could get into right now, or if if you want, because well, kinda... you know, it, it is interesting. She is, for all the good that she's done, you know, she is controversial. So I, a lot of times when I've quoted her, you know, people will give pushback, and uh, I think it's one of those that you, um, you, one of those people you look at the parts of her life that she has done that you respond to or you resonate with and that's where you go with and there might be other aspects that don't resonate with you or resonate with others and uh, we can leave those be right well uh, I, i'm 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 one of mother Teresa's favorite types of people um before the word alcoholic was around it was a diptomaniac which meant thirsty ones and i I'm a recovered thirsty one. I'm a recovered alcoholic, uh, six plus years sober. And Mother Teresa liked working with alcoholics because she said at the core, um, they live a life of service. Uh, and I thought, well, that's definitely what a, the 12 step program teaches us is, is to ultimately be in a position of, of service to try to help others. And it really does, it brings up a lot of, uh, curiosity in my studies and learnings as, as we are humans, um, as we all be, be, belonged to tribes, uh, as we all look today for connection to have some kind of purpose towards a small group of people. Uh, it's made me reflect and, and do some, like I say, be curious and do some investigating about um, why one in 10 people have this allergic reaction to alcohol and other mind altering substances. And, and they have once sober live a life of, of purpose and meaning in terms of helping others, mm -hmm. especially helping others um, find their way to some spiritual awakening through whatever transformational program you, you have, which will relieve them of their obsession to drink alcohol and take other mind altering substances. So, um, the study of, of people like me has been going on for hundreds of years because obviously alcoholism and diplomaniacs and we've been around since the beginning of alcohol. Um, but I, again, it's just made me do it, be, be very curious as to, as to why um, certain people, like I say, about one in 10 people have this allergic reaction to alcohol, how they're not meant to be taking alcohol. And it's given me a sense of purpose because that's what I do say nowadays is I say, uh, I am an alcoholic. Uh, I'm not, I cannot drink alcohol. It's really hard to say to somebody, I say I'm not meant to drink alcohol. And that puts me at peace and ease. I'm not meant to take mind altering substances because I can cast my gaze at my fellow human beings eye to eye and not really kind of worry about tra transcending to some kind of spiritual plane, which I believe we are all connected to. But I think that I had a purpose for millennia to keep an eye out for the people who are taking ayahuasca and other mother earth substances to try to have those transcendent um, awakenings and, 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 and to see our purpose and our passion and our connection to the universe. I, this again, it's a personal belief. I think I was, I was meant to just protect people while they were on these, 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 um, journeys from saber tooth tigers and from uh, the things while they were, while they were 
I say in ceremony and doing things, and it's just giving me a little bit of a peace and ease into with my position as someone who doesn't take mind altering substances today. Um, so that's why I like Mother Teresa. And that's uh, perfectly wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. So, folks, um, I'll just give you like the 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 quick quick version. I was born in Canada to uh, to two English immigrants from from the UK who immigrated to Canada in the '60s in the middle of Canada, above Montana, a province called Saskatchewan. Grew up in a very small farming community, uh, in a household that was very normal at times, but it was also very scary. Um, my dad was an active alcoholic from from the time I you know I was born. I never really got the brunt of his violence, but I certainly do remember blood on the walls and crash plates and mom and my sisters getting beaten. Um, so at the core of me was a very scared child who would urinate his pants when his dad walked in the room. And I, I probably went my bed sometimes until I was 13 years old, but I developed certain defense mechanisms, um, lying, manipulating, fantasizing, stealing. Stealing was huge, uh, which gave me some kind of uh, agency. It gave me some kind of power when I felt so powerless. And these, Defense mechanisms grew into assets because I grew into an athletic body. I became very charming, very manipulative. Um, and it got me stuff. I could BS my way in and out of any situation. And uh, I moved to the UK when I was 18 to play professional ice hockey. And very quickly, I got stuff. I bought my first house when I was 18 because I got a job um, that I lied on. I, I told them I could do something that I couldn't. Uh, it was actually in an ice rink in Doncaster where my parents were from. I'd moved there and, and I went to this local ice rink and they said, well, we need someone to drive the Zamboni, the machine that cuts the ice. And I went down there and I said, oh, I, I can, I'm from Canada. I can, I can drive the Zamboni. And uh, of course, I didn't know where the key went to start this machine. But this lie gets me my first job, which gives me an opportunity to get a mortgage. I couldn't quite get a mortgage. So I took the mortgage advisor on a date and manipulated her not purposeful, but um, dated her and got a mortgage. So again, I'm getting things. I was I was married to a professional figure skater by the time I was 21. I was living on the Isle of Wight. I lived a picture perfect life with a white picket fence, a dog, a nice car, and uh, and 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 on the outside this great little life. And I took myself off to university in Winchester. I studied English literature and history. I BS my way through that, and. Uh, when Sky Sports over here started covering the ice hockey, I phoned up the producer there at, in a time when you could phone um, television stations, you can't now. And I said, my name is Nick Rockwell. I play ice hockey for the Guilford Flames. Can I come and watch you make a, a program because I'm studying media at university? And the producer said, sure, come along. And you guys know that's a lie because I was studying English literature and history. So another lie gets me an opportunity. I end up with a job of a lifetime as a live TV sports presenter on one of the fastest growing sports broadcasting companies on the planet. And by the time I was 28, I left my wife. I was living in, uh, in London, drove a Porsche, shopped on Savile Row, uh, owned a production company. On the outside, you would have said this guy had made it. Inside, I was that scared eight-year-old boy um, who felt like a fraud and an imposter and I didn't deserve any of it. And I was speaking where I live now in Soho before we started this meeting. Uh, um, I started hanging out in the nightclubs in the late 90s and someone introduced me to a line of cocaine and a stoli martini. And I never drank or did drugs because I didn't want to be like my father. But now I stopped playing the sport that I loved. I had no accountability to anybody to call me out on my BS. And taking these drugs and drinking this drink made me feel normal. Felt like I could fit in. Those fears fell from me. 
And for about 18 months, it was fun. And then all of a sudden the consequences of drinking got worse and, and my girlfriend left me. And I remember I went back to my flat and she, she had emptied the flat out and I was not a continuous heavy drinker at that time because I had alcohol in my house and I took a shot of whiskey and I took a line of cocaine and these tears of her leaving just went away. And in my mind, it was like this, oh, alcohol takes pain away. I get it. And for 15 years, I went on a journey of, of collecting pain and having alcohol take that pain away. And then the consequences of the drinking getting worse and worse and worse. Failed relationships, failed businesses, moved to LA, moved back to Canada, moved back to London. Geographicals are, are kind of at the core of a lot of alcoholics because they think if I change my environment, everything is going to change. But wherever I went, I followed. And at 45 years old, after some pretty horrible things happening in my life, uh, alcohol was the only solution for me. And I ended up in a penitentiary in Southern Ontario with murders, rapists, drug dealers, um, wife beaters thinking how did I, a nice guy like me from Canada, from Saskatoon ever, ever get into a jail where, um, you know, guys, they saw me, I was detoxing in jail. It was it, detoxing from alcohol is one of the most dangerous things you can do. And murders and rapists were actually keeping an eye on me to make sure that I didn't tap out or, or have an aneurysm. The day that I got out of jail, I drank. I drank for a couple more years. And I was brought up with this attitude that real men don't cry. Real men sort out all their own problems. Real men definitely never ask for help. And I had a crushing of the ego where at 45 years old, May 28th, 2016, my ego was deflated by acute pancreatitis, liver failure, kidney failure, dehydration, and malnutrition. I was on the way out. And on, on that physical death and I had a spiritual awakening and that was very small in terms of what it enabled me to do was to say to somebody who I had a little bit of trust in, help me. I said, help me to a man. That man reached out his hand and said, follow. And I did. And I went through a recovery program, which is the cornerstone of my life today, where I try to reduce ego. I try to think of how I can be of service and how I can help others. The thought of alcohol is not returned. It's a miracle for someone like me. I'm not thought of a drink in over six years. Um, so I'm just going to keep doing what I do. And I built Retribe in recovery because I noted that it was when I stopped playing ice hockey that I lost all accountability with other human beings. I lost anyone who called me out of my BS. Uh, I lost any incentive to be part of a community um, where even though I did feel different in ice hockey, changing rooms, I always felt connected. I always felt like I got someone's back and someone's got mine. So I also was thinking about how great AA is for people because, you know, if you, if you are like me and an alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous is, it's, it's amazing. And, um, I thought, what about all the other people who don't have a 12-step program, but who could qualify for something, so a lack of community, a lack of connection? Um, it was Carl Jung who said that the thirst of a, the low-level thirst of an alcoholic in the bottle is his high thirst for God, 
for connection to spirituality. And I thought, well, there must be a lot of other people out there looking for connection. So I built Retribe to help people find that accountability with a small group of people to then incentivize and give accountability to, to themselves as a group, which will basically alleviate social anxiety because a lot of people are sitting alone in their flats going, I know I, go, I need to go to a 12-step program. I know I need to go to Weight Watchers. I know I need to go to the gym. I know I need to go to a spin class. I know I want to join that Zumba class. I'm just too darn scared because I don't fit in my Lululemons anymore. So Retribe was there to, again, create that accountability and incentivize people to go to holistic lifestyle services together as a group. Because humanity has always been like that. We've always done stuff together. Uh, it's very, very odd that people would be individual in uh, 10,000 years ago. You wouldn't have survived. You know, so we were all part of a tribe and a group and a community where we we contributed to rather than took from. And we live in a world today which puts us in a silo of materialism and want, not need, but want, because we've, well, I lost my way. So um, so that's why I'm here today to, to talk to you about Retribe Community and Connection and how it's a cornerstone of my life today. Yeah, and what's your experience? Uh, and I'm aware, Nicole, we're gonna come to you in a second. Uh, what is, What's the physical implications of not having that connection? Well, if we look at the, we can start out at the science and things. Um, you know, what, what, what happens to our bodies when we don't have that connection, when we, when we don't have that uh, sense of community uh, or a sense of belonging, as it were? Uh, you know, I, I'm not quite sure. Like, I know a little bit about how we can get um, dopamine hits from human connection. So I know, for instance, that um, even in language, when one tells the truth to another human being, you get a small little dopamine hit of telling the truth to somebody. So I know, I'm not quite sure so much on physical touch. I don't really know about that. I know about language um, and being able to tell the truth, truth to people um, and how we're designed to do it. So I imagine in human beings, we are designed again to be part of something. And for me, um, like being in a changing room with a bunch with 18 other hockey players on a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Saturday and a Sunday, I can think back to it now. And I always felt my elbows were warm because you sit on either guy in a changing room. And I, I'm and I'm trying to visualize, as you say, what's it like to, you know, you feel a warmth around people. Um, and then in the kind of the silo of individualism where you're just living in a muck of, of isolation. Um, physically, it hurts here. Physically, this was shrinking and this was growing. So you kind of become top heavy. Yeah. And, 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 and in terms of, I can solve all of this stuff. This becomes emptied. And then the rest of it becomes full of lies and manipulation and coldness until eventually this kind of silo topples over. And that's where I ended up um, to become a clear channel. Mm -hmm. um, and I think so. So it's this kind of a journey from connection, disconnection to connection again. And the ultimate connection for me now is being a channel um, of, of just being a human, you mm -hmm. know, I can give help and I can receive help. Well, we, we do tend to end up getting physically ill, physically sick or poorly uh, 
when we don't have that connection, right? So the, the I suppose it goes from the energetic to the mental to the physical. Um, but where in your experience, it, well, first of all, is, is that your experience that we we do end up with uh, physical problems if we don't have that connection? Well, yeah, and especially if you're using other coping mechanisms, right? You know? So, so again, alcohol is a poison. Mm. Uh, other people, it's 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 food, um, sex, pornography. You know, whatever you external stuff you're using to fill in those holes become physically detrimental to you. I mean, for me, for me today, it's donuts. <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I try, I'm not perfect. Um, but the funny thing is about a donut is got a hole in it. So I'm using something with a hole in it to fill a hole in it. It doesn't make sense. It's like fi- fixing broken with broken, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think uh, part of the having that awareness uh, oh. helps you through that. I mean, I, I quit smoking about. Uh, must be five or six years ago now and i before that i couldn't really see myself as a non-smoker i think when i started to heal aspects of myself that had led me to use smoking as a coping mechanism then the quitting was quite easy because that wasn't there anymore. I, there wasn't anything I needed to use the smoking for anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the only thing that I needed to quit really was this, the uh, kind of the fe- uh, or the uh, kind of the chemical dependency, and that was quite easy. Um, but the uh, so that journey of of allowing the aspect of yourself that needs healing to. Um, that that has caused the coping mechanism of drinking or substance abuse. Uh, was that part of your journey? To uh, once you healed that, it became easier to kind of say, you know, what well, I don't need it anymore. No, I, I it wasn't part. It wasn't really. It was this like if I got sober for three days, right? So if if the alcohol was out of my system, let's say seven days, because it was completely out of my system. My mind, okay, and, and I would learn that I wouldn't be able to, to drink again. Mm-hmm. Nick, you're no longer allowed to drink again. Your body has a physical allergy to alcohol. What does that mean? An allergy is an abnormal reaction to any food or substance of any kind. Abnormal in terms of alcohol, meaning that if it goes into my body, I can't break down, I can't physically, my liver will not physically break down acetone. Acetone is one of the components of alcohol after it breaks down from a diacetic acid and athahethahide um, to acetone and then a carbohydrate, sugar, and water, you urinate it out. Acetone sends a signal to the brain saying more of this. So that's why you have probably been drinking with somebody who has a glass of wine and there's all of a sudden they're like, can I have another glass of wine? Can I have another glass of wine? Can I have another glass of wine? And it's at 1130 at night and everyone wants to go home. And that one person's like, oh, come on, guys, I want more. I want more. It's because they've got a physical allergy to alcohol. So knowing that I've got a physical allergy to alcohol and I'm no longer allowed to drink alcohol safely. My and I would be free of alcohol for the most I could do was 30 days. Um, and that's through treatment or, or just kind of self-will, but there would be this thought that would creep into my mind 
Hmm. Surely a glass of wine with that pizza will be okay. So this is the problem, Christopher, of an alcoholic is the mental obsession. Mm -hmm. Even being free of the substance, you'll have the mental obsession that says, I'm going to beat this. And, And that's the bit that kills the alcoholic is the fact that we will continue to drink without some kind of power greater than ourselves helping 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 me be of service will that be alleviated um so there's just a question can i please explain more about the allergy yeah okay so as i said an allergy is an abnormal reaction to a food or substance of any kind many people who have a strawberry um will break out in hives um, some people with peanuts will have a, a reaction. Your your body just cannot process that food or substance. So when alcohol goes into an alcoholic, the liver is what filters it all out. And like I said, it breaks it down to dicetic acid first, then acetaldehyde, and then an acetone, and then carbohydrate, sugar, and water. And, and it, about one unit of alcohol, it will take one hour to go through that process. But you can see if it goes from diacetic acid, acetaldehyde, acetone, it gets stuck at the acetone level because we can't, don't, we don't have the enzymes in our liver that will break that down. But it also sends a signal to the brain saying it wants more of this. Now that's an allergy because it's an abnormal reaction. You don't see it physically, although some, you know, you could say some people go red in the face, or but that isn't the actual manifestation of the allergy. The manifestation of the allergy is the craving. Mm-hmm. that comes from taking the first drink yeah i never thought about that and that's why a lot of people who who that's why you, you need to be an alcoholic to really understand what it's like taking that drink going out and swearing on everyone's swearing on your baby's life i'm only going to have one i swear to god i'm only going to have one and then ending up in a drunk tank the next night how did I end up here? I just went out for one. You could get hooked up to a lie detector death t- test. How many are you going to have? Just one, just one. And you'll, he passes. He's only going to have one. But he'll end up in a drunk tank the next day because he would have ended up doing something stupid, you know, be, from, through drinking too much. And, and unless you feel that, it's really hard to understand because a lot of people have this conception of an alcoholic as being weak-willed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I built some very successful businesses. I was quite strong-willed. I played professional sports. I trained a lot. I had a lot of willpower. But when it comes to alcohol, an alcoholic has no power at all. And like, there's the two aspects to be an alcoholic, the physical allergy that I talked about, but then the mental obsession, which I mentioned. And it's the, you can be, you only the mental obsession is the one that triggers the allergic reaction. So like I say, if I'm 30 days sober, no allergic reaction. But why is it my brain will go, one glass of wine with a pizza will be okay. And that's the bit that takes us out is this mental obsession that says somehow someday we're going to beat the game. And the only, I don't want to call a cure for it, but the only bit that will be help you be recovered from that is the solution found in, in a 12-step program. And it's called mm-hmm. a spiritual awakening. And you do that by going through the steps. It produces the spiritual awakening. Yeah, no, my question was more uh, if when you heal the aspects within you that caused you to use drink and drug as yeah, okay. as a, as a, um, a coping mechanism, does that 
alleviate the or take away the need to drink does it take away the need for the coping mechanism it, it has with me um yeah. in terms of the fact that like i say i haven't thought about a drink so for me to be able to go to bars and nightclubs which i do for me to be able to go to family gatherings which i do and alcohol is around me all the time mm-hmm. for me not and i i don't even have to say oh i wish i could have one if the thought has left my me completely so uh, there's some great books like, uh, you know, The Body Keeps the Score or uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, uh, Realms of the Hungry Ghost. It's all about trauma. Mm-hmm. So basically, they say that, you know, we we think of alcoholics and addicts as treating treating the symptoms, right? Get rid of the alcohol, get rid of the drugs, and you won't have it. But what you're not treating is the trauma. And Christopher, and with regards to your question, what going through a 12-step program helped me do is to address my trauma Mm -hmm. made me go back to the fact that oh nick you know you're not a bad man you know you've 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 done some some pretty horrendous things and you can fix them you're not a bad man you're just a scared eight-year-old kid Mm -hmm. you know who's just scared of life so fear is at the core of me and it's called the corroding uh fabric of my existence it's woven through my system is fear and I get a program that helps me, number one, deal with the fear. And if I deal with the fear, the coping mechanisms, the lying and the manipulating, the stealing and the cheating are no longer needed to protect myself. Yeah. Yeah. No, and uh, that that was my experience. And it was it was so remarkable that once I healed, well, at least one aspect of that, which uh, which encouraged me to have this coping mechanism, then it was like suddenly the thought of smoking was gone. Mm. Whereas before it would constantly occupy my mind, oh, am I going to be able to smoke there? Am I going to, you know, when is when am I going to smoke? Do I have enough cigarettes? Blah, blah, blah. That conversation constantly going on, and suddenly mm. it's gone. It's not there anymore. Right. And because now I've healed that, which which uh, was the pain that I was trying to uh, hide or to get away from. Right. So in terms of going back to connection, what is it in your upbringing or in your childhood, do you think that is lacking the connection? What is the. What was it that that you didn't have then, or what was the trauma that caused you to seek the connection in that way, or uh, to yeah? Well, what in terms of the human connection, what is it that we're uh, what causes the tra- trauma yeah. in that respect when you're a child? I think that it was having a mom and a dad who were thousands of miles away from their aunt, other brothers and their sisters and their moms and their fathers. And just being isolated in terms of a unit of five people, I think that um, I see I'm now part of a family that, you know, have uncles and aunties and, and cousins coming around and playing with each other. And I see um, I see a lot of joy and happiness and connection. I see a lot of tears, too, a lot of fighting and punching. But these are quite natural family phenomena. And, and I think what I was lacking was uh, a secondary family, you know, outside of my initial family group. So I I just remember a lot of loneliness, uh, not a lot of friends to play with, um, 
and 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 not having you know a, a maybe a, a, a my father was not an evil man folks you know he was struck down by this an illness that i had and it took him out it took my mom out my mom was an alcoholic as well she died of the of the illness at 64 years old 12 years ago and um and i think that our human condition doesn't enable us to have certain languages you know, to be able to express emotions or feelings. And, and I, I just don't remember being taught any language on how to process anything. So I think that just further isolated me and not having cousins around to play with or to learn from them um, was a hindrance. And, and I think it, it did make me feel comfortable, I suppose, with loneliness and then being able to kind of just pretend that in, an, in a fantasy world, you know, kind of like, Imagine looking in a playground where a bunch of five or six year olds are playing and you're sitting just outside of that little fence, just looking everywhere, like watching everyone play and just being on the other side of the fence. And that was me physical, physically. It was like, it, like that wasn't a metaphor. I was always watching people play and just feeling very lonely, you know? So I think that that is what I was lacking was, was a lot of honesty, honesty and intimacy in my family. Um, mm -hmm. Not a lot of communication, not a lot of talking thing, things through. It was just because we were so scared to talk about things around dad because we were scared of him. So when you when we look at people today, and especially now post-pandemic, uh, or I suppose in some respects we're still in the pandemic, but at least we're not locked up as it were, not mm -hmm. in lockdown. Um, I think a lot of people have found it's kind of easy to not engage in connections and easy to not engage in social situations, especially if you feel that you have some sort of uh, social anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, the pandemic certainly has uh, amplified that, I feel. Uh, so in your experience and your work, what are you finding in terms of people's coping mechanisms in dealing with the lack of connection, but knowing, no, or having this feeling that it's not, they're not healthy, not connecting. Well, so what's happening there? I was thinking about this and I think that to a large extent, we just don't know yet because it's been this huge shift into this massive Zoom world mm -hmm. an online world where we actually don't know the complete ramifications of it. And then I think that maybe, I think it's going to be different for generations, like intergenerationally different, because I think that humans are evolving. I actually look at this now as a, like, a, you know, I'm a stepfather to a, a six-year-old, a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old, and I watch them interact with their devices. And I'm like, how detrimental is it to their, 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 uh, life when they're becoming addicted to watching people play video games. Um, and sometimes the only way to get them out of it is to turn the internet off. And then I have chaos happening. Mm -hmm. And, and then I'm, and, and then I'm wondering how detrimental is to it. I was like, Oh, when I was a kid, I used to play with mud and, and this and this, this, this. and then I, I'm trying to figure it and navigate it in a way of like, I, I haven't seen I haven't seen the complete ramifications or the or or anything yet. I've seen a lot of kind of byproducts of people feeling um, unheard, um, uh, kind of lacking purpose in this online hybrid world. Um, 
and accountability. And, and that's the dangerous bit. It's like when I could be sitting here right now in, in my underwear down here, and I wouldn't be doing that if I was in person, right? And that's a laziness. Mm-hmm. That's a, like, a, I'm not accountable to my, I'm not, that's a lack of self-love. So I think this is the, or self-care, we'll say, even at the base in, base part. So I think that there's a lot of, I think this will be, be one of the problems that we see, Christopher, is a lot of people will be starting losing a sense of self, you know, um, because people have been quite easily, they've adapted quite easily to this world. I think productivity has not really gone down in many, in many instances, it's gone up. But then we also know, like I say, the lack of accountability. Um, I, I'm a person who really likes to be around people because it's just my nature. I think that people have different natures in them. I think there are people who actually quite thrive in these circumstances. So I think it'll be intergenerational differences in terms of the impact um, of what's going on. I've always said that Retribe was going to use technology to help solve a problem that technology has exacerbated. And I am not against this, but when I was alone and isolated and lacking in purpose, this was my savior because I could literally sit at home, have food delivered to me, talk to friends, uh, use other outlets, you know, that are not so healthy or discussable in public. (laughs) It's just rude. Um, And, uh, and it was a savior, but it also keeps people in this, like I say, this silo of, of individual uh, isolation, which we know isn't healthy. So I'm very interested to see how it will work out different with different generations. But I always say that we do need human contact. So whatever we do through these things is to kind of go like, who are we going to talk to today after this? Are we going to make sure that we go out and shake hands with somebody? Are we going to re- reach out to someone? Are we going to go for a walk? Are we going to hug a tree? Um because I think the connection to nature and humans is essential for our existence. Well, exactly. And that's where we're starting out today with uh, talking about the physical experience when you lack that connection, uh, because then you do deteriorate in your physical health as well. Um, And that's where we tend to notice it even though it goes deeper than that, it's when we notice on the physical level that we go, huh, there's something wrong here. I need to fix this. And, you know, Western medicine fixes the symptoms and it's up to us to go deeper and find where the root to it is. So the, I mean, from my personal experience, when the pandemic hit, when I, when we kind of got into the lockdowns and all of that, it was, I found that it was kind of easy because now I didn't have to put myself out there in that way, but I, I just put myself out there in the, the cyber world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, computers. I've always been very comfortable with, very comfortable with the, this kind of forum. Um, so when we came out of lockdown, I didn't change that. I didn't change to go back to, what uh what was before where you would seek out each human connection but i do notice now when i do go and i attend live events and so forth it's like i'm alive again it's like wow this is amazing you know the feeling you get from it so uh, i think it is important to push ourselves to go out there and do uh, connect as you say um because it is it is critical to our survival, isn't it? 
It, it, it is. And I think that we talk about the essential of human connection, but I also, I, I'd like to, you know, like nature connection, like Gaia connection, you know, connection to the earth. And I think that we've lost that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for forgetting about the pandemic, I just think that, you know, I, I mean, I live in, you know, the right in the middle of London. I mean, you couldn't get more middle than where I live. No. And, um, and I just spent some time in nature uh, last week and, and it, I just feel clear. I feel open. I feel like my skin cleared up, you know, hair got a little fluffier, even though I'm thinning back here. Um, just the connection to, to, to mama earth was just so essential too. And I think that that's when you talk, especially, you know, talking to guys who look like me, you know, you say, have you, have you leaned up against a tree today? And they're like, what are you talking about? But we as humans over the, over the last, you know, since the industrial revolution have lost contact with, with, with mama earth. And I've had my most transformational moments in my life in sobriety and, and, and in the Algov in the sea, you know, like literally crying tears of, of joy and, and, and connection to mama just, and, and, and asking the earth to help me and feeling reborn again. Like I was in the womb as I floated in this water. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm so happy talking about that in this community, but if I talk about that with, with some other communities, they're going to look at me really funny, you know, but so I think that it's not just our, our, our lack of connection with humans. It's the lack of connection with, with nature. I was listening to a, you know, one of the biggest podcasts in the world the other day, and uh, you guys would know it's Rogan, and and he was talking about something that happened in LA when there was a power shortage, a power, a, a blackout, and he said the nine one one got got like just off, like what's the word? It almost got cut off because people phoning nine one one because of the stars and the moon was so close, and there were people who thought that we were crashing into the universe. You know, so nine one one almost got like what was what am I like? Uh, it, it overwhelmed. Got, it got overwhelmed yeah. by people because people don't see the stars anymore. No, no. And but, and 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 it's just. I mean, you think that's crazy, but it, it's true. No, I know, and it's uh, some places like uh, middle of Mallorca, for example, where I used to go as a kid where there's no light pollution at all and you literally see the milky way and all the little dust out there right and it's just just so like spiritually affirming hmm. even you know i was eight years old back, <laughs> you know when i experienced that and it, it's just amazing the uh how, what an experience that is but isn't it so sad though that there are people that don't haven't experienced that that they actually think that they're like it's they're in danger based on this beauty out there right but it's um so what one thing that struck me when you started talking about uh you know the the tree and connecting with the mother guy and so forth and connecting with earth uh is the uh developing the empathy and the emotional intelligence because if we don't connect with others, then we don't have that feeling of connection. We can't exercise empathy because we we can't recognize that emotion in others because we're not connected to them. And it's the same thing with the earth. If we have no empathy for the earth, why are we then going to worry about or worry? Why are we going to concern ourselves with uh 
you know, the environmental changes and ecology and recycling and buying the right products to not destroy the earth and so forth. Uh, so in your work, Nick, do, what role does empathy play in, in terms of helping people develop emotional intelligence? Oh, that's big. Um, I'm, I'm in this kind of thing where for me, um, the journey is different than how I, I, I kind of, when I work with others, because my journey to empathy was, was one of like, um, a life of service. So at 45 years old, I, I felt unworthy. I felt like a, uh, a piece of shit. I feel like a failure and, um, and I'm unworthy of anything. And I'd lost all my credibility. I'd lost all my standings as a, as a TV broadcaster, as an entrepreneur. Um, and I was um, rebuilding my life with, um, out of like, I was just, I was scared, but I felt safe for some reason. I think because the ego was gone and, 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 and I was, I was sponsoring men right away. So basically in, in a 12 step program, when you get to the 12 step, you start working with others and showing them how to go through the steps. I was sponsoring men after three months of sobriety, which is what my sponsor said to me to do. And in doing this, folks, what happens is that the I care, let's say you're my sponsee. I give you with no expectation of anything in return because you can't give me money. You're probably almost homeless or or coming out of a detox. And you, you know, you can't give me any material thing. There's no exchange. It's literally me giving you with no expectation of anything returned. So me loving you, because that's what love is. Love is an action. And in doing so, what was happening is I would, it was, it was building these little, little chinks of self-esteem. These little chinks of like, I'm, I'm and, and I, I was, it was unconscious. I wasn't really thinking about it at the time. And when I was 49 years old, I'd sponsored a lot of people. And I was living back, I was given, and my first job in sobriety was as remember I was a live TV broadcaster and I, and I was earning a quarter of a million a year and driving a Porsche. Remember that, right? All of a sudden at 45 years old, I'm tearing out kitchens in people's houses, renovating them to put food on my plate. And I got that by saying in a, in a meeting and I was sharing and I said, I'm, I'm struggling financially. And someone said, Nick, I didn't know you were struggling financially. I run a construction company. Can you come and you can tear out kitchens. It's 20 bucks an hour. And I said, yes, please. And this other little thing that I was doing, this little action I was taking, that was building the self-esteem, this little, and, and enabling me to learn more about feeling for others without, because for so long I was consumed by self, selfish, self-centered. And then these little things, and then all of a sudden another little thing happened. And I, I ended up getting a job in a hotel and I was just glorified, glorified towel boy in a five-star hotel in Toronto. Hotels that I would once use in, in the penthouse suites, I was now the towel boy for. And then from there, lo and behold, you know, I got a job back in TV, which brought me back to London. And at 49 years old, I looked in the mirror, folks, after sponsoring probably about 50 people through the 12-step program. And little bit to little bit, getting my life back together, I looked in the mirror and I said, I'm proud of you, Nick. For the first time in my life, I said, I'm proud of you. And I think that in developing care for other people, I learned empathy for me. 
And then in learning empathy for me, it just, it, 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 it steamrolled, it grew and it grew and it grew, but it was in only in my ability to love you with no expectation of anything in return that I started to build this. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I was actually having a conversation with someone the other day about exactly that. The process always starts from within. And we were talking about we were talking about relationships the other week, talking about, you know, most people see relationship as the 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 space between two people or between you and a, uh, an experience or you and a thing. That's the relationship. But the relationship exists within the participants. It's how we resonate with the other person. That is the basis for the, uh, the relationship. Um, so absolutely, I, I resonate with that deeply, that in order to have empathy for others, you need to have, start with having empathy, empathy for yourself. In order for others to love you, you need to develop deep love for yourself. Mm. Right? Which, oh, it, yes, I, I, I agree completely. And I think it, and it's very hard for, for, for some people to kind of get that grasp around this relationship with yourself and with others and 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 how to love others like you would want to be loved and how to love yourself the way you want to love others and it's this kind of constant thing of like i say it's to me love is action and it's not something that is my quote it's just what i've learned is that love is action towards other people and that it's not transactional and the more that i can kind of give um somehow the universe supplies it back to me and that's been a process i've had to i've had to experience it. Someone couldn't me just tell me that this happens, even though they did mm -hmm. to experience over these last six years, loving others with no expectation in return. And all of a sudden other little miracles start happening in your life. And it's, and it's absolutely wonderful, but without the action, I mean, I can talk about it all day long, but my actions brought about these experiences that I can now tell you to you are my truth, you know, and it's in that, that you go, Oh, maybe I'm going to trust what that guy says. And then that then that gets the conversation going from just talking into actions for us as a group, which I can kind of when you're ready to, I'll I'll, I'll kind of give my last final thoughts on that. Yeah, no, we we got uh, plenty of time to go here, so don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> you bring it up whenever you feel you're uh, it's appropriate. But uh, I think the in order to it's 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 a bit of a chicken and the egg situation isn't it that in order to experience that empathy for ourselves we first need to be able to connect with others and relate to others so that they can feed back that connection to us mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah it's the whole idea of like becoming channels you know and and this the dew drops in a spider webs all being able to see each other, right? So the universe, every star can see each other. Mm -hmm. how far, because everything reflects off of everything else. And and it's, you know, I think that's Buddhist, right? And um uh in that, and now I look at every single one of you and I go, you are me. We are all the same. We are all just beautiful spirits having this human experience where I am you. You are me, you know. My fears are your fears and your fears are mine. And we can hold each other's hands on this journey together 
or we can operate as silos of I need, I want, sorry, not so much I need, right? It's just, I, I always get it, but I want, the I wants and the if onlys. And I'll be great when if only, and then I want this, you know, rather than just. But I, when I get that job, I'm going to be happy. When I earn that money, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be free. There's, a, there's this wonderful thing about, you know, Einstein talking about the fourth dimension of existence, you know, and what that exactly is. And I know people talk about the 11 dimensions, 13 dimensions, 26 dimensions. It's all very complicated to me, but the fourth dimension being time. And it's really interesting to think about what that means. And the 12 step program is designed to help you live in the fourth dimension of existence. And if Einstein says that's time, then really that means now. So as humans, how do we just live in the now? You know, not in the regret and the remorse of the past, not in the fear of tomorrow, but in the now. And I think this is a practice that we can all help each other with is like, oh, Christopher, this is happening to me. This is happening. Tomorrow's you're like, oh, 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 hold on, brother. Hold on, brother. How are you right now? What's, what's with you right now? Oh, okay. Well, I just ate lunch. Um, and then a hot, hot bath last night. So I'm pretty relaxed. Uh, you know, I'm okay. Oh, okay. So, okay. You're okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. Now. I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay. Now let's talk about these, these, these things that you have, these hurdles that you have in the future. You know, how can we, how can we, how can we deal with them when they come up? And it's about that breath, right? It's all about taking that breath and going right here, right now, right here, right now, right here, right now. I'm all okay. Right now, right here, right now, I'm all full of love. Right now, right now, I'm all connected. And the fears of being a stepfather, the fears of moving in with my fiance and these three boys who are not my birth children, they're just in my head. You know, these kids are, 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 are just children and, and not just children. These kids are, these are children that are growing, coming out of their own traumas. And I thought that I was here to save them when I, this will go back into the story. When I looked into that mirror and I felt proud of myself, I, I felt good, but being by myself, mm -hmm. all of a sudden I met somebody and this woman ends up being Wonder Woman, a survivor of domestic abuse and, and, uh, an extremely bright intel, like an academic, a superwoman, literally you know, she's a superwoman. And she comes into my life and she has these three boys and certain circumstances happen with her ex where he's no longer allowed to see them. And, and I, you know what I do then after feeling a little bit of self-esteem and proud of myself, I go into, Oh, here we go, Nick, let's put on the Superman cape. I'm here to save them. And I get into this tangled web of don't talk to your mom like that. You need to behave like this. You need to do this. You need to do this. All the things that my dad taught I learned from my father. I'm now becoming this disciplinarian that makes me feel sick inside where I couldn't go to the bathroom because my insides tightened up so much because I thought, hey, I'm here to save them. Imagine uh, David Hasselhoff on Baywatch, right? And, and there's these, this woman and these three kids are out in the choppy water. And I'm like, hey, Nikki, Tatiana, Christopher, Kara, Jesse, watch me go save them. Okay, watch me. I'm swimming out there. I'm swimming out. What, are you guys looking at the savior Nick here with the cape on going? And I get there and I get there to this woman. I'm like, I'm here to save you. 
And she says, Nick, I'm a mermaid. These are little mermen. We're good. You better get back to that shore or you're going to drown. And that's what was happening to me is that I took my self-will back. I thought I could run the show. I was not living in the now. I was living in the fear of what tomorrow might bring. And I thought the only way to do that was me grab the steering wheel and start driving the bus. And it almost destroyed me. It almost destroyed me in sobriety, trying to live life on self-will, going, I'll solve this. I'll do this. I'll do this. And then luckily, I, I, I have the tools to be able to dig deep and to confine in, in men who are smarter than me and more spiritually woke than I am to bring me back, to make me learn this. I am not here to save those young men. They are here to teach me. They are here to teach me. Well, absolutely. And that is a lesson, isn't it? Hmm. That is your lesson because the only way you knew how to interact with children was by the role models you've had in your life. Yeah. Right? So now you show up in their life like you, your father showed up in your life. And yeah, I, I, I agree. I had that revelation with my children as well that I'm not here to protect them or save them they're actually here to teach me oh. and when they do that when i accept that yeah then or when i accepted that then suddenly things were just flowing much easier right the the confrontation stopped the con contentious energy kind of dissipated uh, and it became a much more uh, free flowing energy, right? Hmm. And it's when we, I know you and I've had similar experience in terms of awakening and kind of moving through that. And I think we were like two months apart when we <laughs> had, had our moments as it were. Um, and you reach these or at least in the beginning, you come to a point where you're like, oh, yes, I am, uh, you know, I can do this and I can do that. I'm superhero. I'm, you know, fantastic. And then you're like, oh, my God, ego. God, come on. <laughs> but that journey, to, for me, in a way, that, that experience, I felt so disconnected from mm -hmm. others because I'd, I had put myself in a different Real Masor. Mm. Was that your experience too? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's I, I think that's the thing, is like I'm I'm learning all of the time is that um, you know, this is and I you know it's never like this. It's it's always like this, mm. you know. And I literally just to have the tools to ride the waves. Um and, and it's always changing, it's always evolving. And and if I get in my mind, I'm meant to be this. It's not true because I'm meant to be changing. I'm meant to be evolving. I'm never going to be a fixed state. Um, I'm constantly transforming. And, and, and again, that, that gives me a sense of like, it is what it is. You're just right. You're in and out in, in the now, ride what it is. You have the tools to deal with it. Is it really that bad? Is it really that good? You know, it's the Chinese farmer story, right? That Alan Watts narrates, you know, I just don't know. Good thing, good thing bad thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just know that I just know very simple things. I believe I'm a spirit having a human 
experience. I really do believe that. I don't believe that this is just the it. Um, I'm not a religious man. I don't practice any religious any religious teachings or doctrines at all. I just believe we're all connected. And it's very, very simple for me. And, I, and, and if you look at Egyptian hieroglyphs, um, all of the gods are depicted with left hands. And it's because the left hand was for bestowing. The left hand is for giving. And a god only gives, right? Because we can't give a god anything. So the gods all give with their left hands. But look down, folks. What have you got? Left hand and a right hand. So what's the right hand for? Receiving, right? Mm -hmm. So we can receive with our right hand. We can bestow and we can give, which means we are channels of being able to give love unconditional love with no expectation of anything return, but also to receive love. And how often do we forget that bit? We can get into a place of like service, which is where I want to be giving, but I also need to be in a position of receiving. That's why I really love the fact that I always have mentors and people in my life who can love me and I don't pay them, you know, maybe get them a coffee every once in a while. There's nothing transactional apart from the fact that this, this man is here to, to just guide me on my journey. Normally someone who's older than me. I love the idea of mentor and where the word comes from. Uh, and I, I, I heard it on a podcast. I'm a bit of a podcast geek. And uh, the word mentor, I guess one of its, its, its historical, where it comes from is uh, a, a sailor, a salty old sailor. Uh, who's been knocked around a lot. You can imagine those sailors with one, one leg chopped off and a patch over their eye. And they're there to help the other young sailors. Don't grab onto that rope there. Duck if the boom comes over. You know, don't fall, you know, to teach through their own experiences. And there's a wonderful line in the, in, in the book that I read is our experience will benefit others. And I think that in terms of being able to give, that's what we do. But I always make sure that I'm, if I'm feeling uncomfortable, I have somebody I can reach out to and I can say, help me. Cause I don't want to ever get into that position of being godlike. Um, I'm a, just a human here with a right hand and a left hand. And, and again, the idea of that is being a channel in the middle, clear the channel with resentments, with fears, with self-pity, with self, right. And just click, keep it clear. And there's tools to do that, that I work on every day. And make sure that I can be of service to others and also to, to be able to be served. So clearly in order to have, complete that circle, we, we need that connection, right? Because otherwise we are just a, a channel within ourselves. There's yeah, nothing just to a, a link of a chain without anything to link to. Yeah. And, and, and that's the wonderful part of, uh, let's say, like a 12-step program is, again, Carl Jung um, we had a huge part in, in Alcoholics Anonymous and not a lot of people know that. And, uh, but it was actually him who, who knew the solution to alcoholism before the writers of the book, uh, even, even knew it existed. And, um, and him and Bill W had a correspondence back and forth and Bill, Bill W guy who wrote the big book, you know, he described the program as being uh, chain style. So we are links in a chain of, of humanity. And I think that's when people like Mother Teresa had noticed the, the, these, these things that, that these alcoholics were doing and the service, the altruism that exists in that community is absolutely beautiful. And I, I, I just hope, you know, I know 
that humanity is on that 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 shift anyway you know with the rise of sacred feminine energies that's happening today i i i think it's a very exciting time that we live in because we are right at the at the pinnacle of of change you know from a dark patriarchy and misogyny to to you know and i'm not blaming men okay this is just energy shift stuff mm-hmm. uh, of sacred masculine energy of this the you know uh, um dr zach bush talks about the bird that flies with the right wing you know the masculine wing and we're just flying around in a circle humanity but that left wing of sacred feminine energy is popping out of compassion and vulnerability and love and creativity um where we get to be the witnesses of this and all we need as human beings is just to be curious and go, you know, I'm feeling it. I, I, I don't need people telling me it. I feel it. Something is happening. And a lot of people talk about the word awakening or being woke. And I think that those kind of tough because it has political connotations. But I think people just feel it, Christopher. I think people just feel a rise of different energies of love and compassion in humanity. And I know there's an awful lot of dark things happening in this world and the headlines, it's really, really tough. Um, but I do believe we're all going to make it through it because I think love will shine. Well, and going back to talking about a great psychotherapist, uh, you have Carl Rogers talking about uh, congruency between the um, uh, organismic self and uh, the uh, illusionary self, as it were. And um, I think if you bring that up to a uh, more of a collective consciousness level, we we always see the universe always seeks to be in balance. And when we have uh, when things become very extreme, it seeks to continue to be in balance. So things have to be. Uh, so if there's a lot of darkness, there has to be a lot of. Uh, light but full of ego as it were um it's only when we come closer to to uh to congruency where we become more aligned with our authenticity that we can be uh in balance in uh, a state of love and compassion right mm. so it's uh we're always seeking to be be uh become balanced uh in our own experience so i completely agree with you there is a paradigm shift happening um you can i just know during the past 10 years the these kind of communities have just grown and exploded and especially the uh, the generations coming up now there is a strong urge and a yearning for this higher connection as it were or mm-hmm. to connect more with something that is an understanding of oneself and to connect with that yeah. which is the the higher self so the when we're looking at and i always talk about you know in order to experience ourselves we need everything that is around us we need the stuff we need you know the people and so forth in order to experience ourselves so in terms of connection if we don't have connection with nature connection with people we can't experience ourselves and therefore we can't grow right so the it is imperative to explore and seek out those connections in order to for us to be able to experience ourselves and that's in my view that's why we're here there is to learn about ourselves and experience ourselves 
if we existed in a vacuum, i.e. if depending on your belief system, if you're a soul and you're just floating in a dimension of energy, then you can't experience yourself because you can't totally connect them with everything else. You are not separated from anything. Uh, you are just you are simply consciousness in among other consciousness. Mm. So in the physical body, we we can experience ourselves because you're Nick and you know this car and so forth. I can uh, reflect. I can look at you guys and I can reflect on myself and be like, okay, I'm Christopher because I am not you. But it's this coming back to having this connection with someone and connecting with their organismic self, for me in a way, when I have those kind of conversations. And that, that's one of the driving forces for me having, uh, you know, hosting these podcasts is that I, I that's when I tr truly feel alive. You know, it's this buzzing feeling in my whole body when I connect with people deeply, mm. right? And so, so for me, it's it is so important for my well-being, both mental and physical and energetic uh, well-being, to connect with others. And so, is that? Are you seeing that that is part of the journey for others as well? You know, I think that, I don't know. I think that everyone's, everyone's existence here is different. Everyone's the expert in their own journeys. And, and, and I think that um, there's a, a capital T truth and then there's little T truths. I'm full of little T truths of my own experience. I, I think that that capital T truth of the ultimate knowing, I don't think any of us. Well, truth is a bit of a uh, paradox in that, uh what is true for me might not be true for you right yeah yeah and 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 i i i'm just trying to read the one of these one of these this chat that's come up from nikki about um one's journey also requires solitude to understand oneself heal be whole self i think it's a combination of it of it all yeah. i think that i i definitely even in sobriety i like my solitude i like to be alone in the cave my flat which I'm, I'm moving out of soon to, to move in with the family. Um, and again, I'm scared of that. I think that, but I think that is a relationship with the universe. I think, or some people call God or the source or anything. I think that's when I perfect those because I don't have any distractions. Um, and I think that my relationships with human beings are needed in terms of, of how am I going to interact on this planet? You know, how am I going to best serve my fellow human beings? And I need to be do, practicing that so that I can, and it's a constant learning, always learning, because I can say things and I can offend somebody with not wanting to offend anybody, um, but it happens. So we need relationships around us too. We're never going to be perfect at it. You know, it's always constantly like I tried to be of service this way. It didn't work out this person. A young, a, a younger man than me was in this room the other day, and I said something to him that offended him. Um, and he was like, Nick, I don't know if I can work with you any, any, anymore. And it was a truth for me. What I was saying to this man was, I really believed it was about his health. And I was like, you, you know, you can consider doing this because it'll be healthy for you. He took it like, oh, you're, you're, you're saying I'm, I'm overweight. 
which wasn't what I was saying, but he heard it that way. Mm -hmm. So what I'm learning is the dynamics, the, the, the education between two human beings. And I think there's this, there's a book called the two listeners. And it's about basically two people talking in the presence of the universe or God or source or whatever, whatever you wanted to call it. Um, and how that this is our practice. This is the human experience of us figuring out our relationships with one another to figure out this relationship with self, to figure out this connection to the universe and beyond. Um, and then I'm just trying to read some of the chats too. Um, my angels keep asking me to be alone right now. I, I, I think that for me, my solitude brought about a lack of purpose. Uh, and this is in, in active alcoholism is that when I was alone, I, I wasn't alone. I had a bottle of vodka. So I wasn't alone. So that was, that's a lie to say that because I'm, I'm not with people, uh, I'm, I'm alone, but I had a, the bottle of vodka to say that I'm alone now in my flat is not true either because I'm connected to the universe. So I'd never feel lonely. So being alone is a time of growth, a time of, of reflection, a time of meditation, a time of asking, and a time of, of that's a, a, an amazing, beautiful time in your life to be, and, and it never ends. So uh, I, again, for me, isolation needed, <laughs> loneliness doesn't exist anymore, if, if that makes any sense. And what if you can to make loving effort, but haven't met genuine people in your city? Um, it's funny that because I was just thinking about the, when I got sober, I made really beautiful connections in Toronto and uh, how today I haven't made those really deep bonds in London. And I think this is a time in life too, when, when you're with people who have a very similar challenge to you, let's say for me, alcoholism, if you're all within that kind of same window of getting sober at the same time these really strong bonds are made really strong of you survived a, uh, an illness that could kill you. You survived well, he healing together, right? Yeah. A healing together. If I'm in sobriety with people with different sobriety dates than me, I don't feel as connected to them. Mm -hmm. So I think because I got sober in Toronto, I'll feel connection to these men that I haven't felt in London. Um, and that's probably something to teach me something. I haven't figured it out yet. But I'm 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 wondering why those connections haven't been made. I, I, I'm always meeting genuine people, but those those really strong bonds and rapport that I had with people in early sobriety are different than they are today. Well, and I, I think it's as you say, every opportunity that we have to learn about ourselves is valuable and important. It's critical because if you if you never experience sadness you will know, not know the value of joy. Wow. So if you are, uh, Nick, if you are being uh, challenged to be in solitude at the moment, perhaps that is to teach you the value of connection with others. But in order to, uh, or when you then realize that and you bring that, embody that, then you'll be at the right frequency of vibration to attract yeah. that uh, true genuine authentic uh, connection that you're you're uh, now that you're wanting but it's embodying that emo or uh, vibration and frequency in order to attract it um 
because if uh, like Nick was saying, you know, he can be alone but not feel lonely. There are people that can be in a uh, you know room full of people and still feel lonely, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's, it's uh, an internal feeling. Yeah, and I, you got to look at why do you feel alone, you know? And normally you, that's a that's an indicator that you need to do some 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 deep dive work, you know, because it's quite a. I want to say it's a selfish emotion because it's like pity me kind of thing, and that's how I felt. You know, oh, I'm all alone, and so and so is married, and so and so has kids, and I'm not that. And um, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you don't feel alone. <laughs> but 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 I'm just saying, you know, when people who do feel alone, um, I kind of want to do a little bit of work about why do you feel alone when you're when you're not with people when you're in solitude because there is some transformational work that can alleviate that. But Nikki, you had a question. You put your hand up, so go ahead. Thank you. I'm just talking away, you know. <laughs> okay, so um, thank you very much. First of all, Nick, I love the fact that we're both, our name is similar, means leader. Um, love it. Um, and for um, everything this group has done for me, thank you. In these short weeks, I've been able to uh, stop smoking tobacco. Uh, uh, I don't think I'll be smoking marijuana again. I, I've, I haven't done it in a few weeks. It's really powerful. And I really stopped drinking 95%. And I believe that I'm going to be able to kick that one. Um, I pulled up to a liquor store yesterday and, and, the, and it says no trespassing NRS. My initials are NR. So it was no trespassing Nicole Richardson spirit. I said, you guys are too freaking controlling. I try to walk in the liquor store anyway. There was a noise frequency in there that was so annoying. I said, fine, you win. I had to leave the liquor store. I was like, you, you bastards with love. I love my angels very much, but they're very supportive. Um, Archangel Raphael is supporting me on my sobriety right now. So shout out to um, Raphael. Um, he just told me who he is yesterday or the other day. But anyway, let me get back to what I was saying. So I went to AA and I originally went for my trauma um, to heal with my shadow. I guess I suppose I was in denial about drinking or, or smoking or anything because I felt like um, I don't take any medication that's uh, prescribed by a doctor. And um, I've cured myself of all this stuff you, they want you to take medicine for. And I still had this you know, and I don't like overly indulge. So I felt like I have a good balance on it. Uh, what I realized is that my, uh, like, first of all, alcoholism, my, my grandfather on both sides are allergic to alcohol. When I very first drank alcohol, I got so deathly sick. I used to just pass out from a little bit. I knew I was allergic too, but I guess I tried to develop a tolerance past it or whatever. Um, when I went to AA, um, first of all, I grew up in a very different spiritual practice. So for them to keep telling me that I'm sinful and I'm born in sin and all this stuff and beating me down and stuff, it was, it was, it was more of a challenge for me because there, um, there was a lot of telling me all of the bad things before the good. Um, so that's for one. And for two, when I actually went to the group and I really tried to open up and be loving with everybody, um, because of my delivery, because I wasn't, um, coming there as a victim in pain, uh, sad, like the rest of the group, anytime I expressed myself, the group leaders would shut down my words before I could even finish what I would say, they would redirect. And they tell you get a certain amount of time to talk. I mean, I couldn't even get 30 seconds out of my mouth before they would shut me down every time. 
And I mean, I'm getting over being molested, raped, abused, all sorts of shit. And it was no support at all. And it was really hurtful because um, I tried to go and I tried to do the steps and I tried to have a support group, but I'm doing it still on my own. I'm still doing it and I'm grateful for it. And my angels are my support and I'm not alone. But when I tried to get with other human beings to get the support of the 12 steps, they pushed me away every time. And I don't feel like a victim. I'm just telling you, that's what actually happened. You know, Nikki, um, thank you for sharing. And and I um it honestly, it doesn't sound like an AA group. I I like um there's traditions in AA that 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 it sounds like that wherever you went, I would I would I'm happy to to kind of talk with you offline um Please. at a time. You know, my experience in AA is a lot different. And I know that there's a lot of sick AA groups out there that don't actually practice tra the traditions. Or they they don't understand some people some AA groups are not run by alco real alcoholics, so you know be careful of that. I'm happy to talk with you offline about you know what I know about like real AA, and um, and I'm also happy to introduce you to some very strong women in recovery um, because it is something that if you do identify as an alcoholic, you do not need to do alone. Recovery is beautiful, um, and and. Uh, I like I say, I'll connect you with some some really good strong women in in AA uh, offline. Maybe we can exchange emails or something like that. Christopher can can sort that out. But yeah, um, yeah Nikki, I, I would love to be able to talk with you offline if that's okay. Thank you. I really appreciate the support, and I know God sent you to talk to me right now. I know you're an angel, and I really appreciate you. Thank you. But bless, bless you. You're going to be awesome. It'll all be fine. And and it is. Unfortunately, it's actually not the first time I hear that exact story that if you come in with the mindset to be empowered into a group that wants to continue to wallow in victimhood, mm. that you get shunned because your energy is vibrating at a totally different frequency and you get this like immune response, right? So, so that that's again. It's all about the connection. That you know, are you connecting with the right group? Are you connecting with the right tribe? Right. So, what are you in your experience there, Nick? What what is the the importance of the empowerment? What is the importance of uh, kind of shifting away from the victimhood in terms of connecting with others and uh, shifting out of this uh, melees. Yeah, I think that knowing that I'm always going to be an alcoholic is fine. You know, in AA, you always identify with I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Nick. I always identify with I'm an alcoholic because I'm in an AA room. Uh, I've been very fortunate, Nikki, that I've gone to some some real AA, like some some AA groups that have been loving and supporting and beautiful. So I also have been to some AA meetings that are not so I really, like I said, I've sent you my, my details. We'll talk offline with that. You can set up a Zoom. Um, but um, knowing that I'll never be cured of alcoholism helps because, like I said earlier, it's the obsession. It's the idea that, that the, there's something up in here that's a bit miswired, that's obsession. It's denial. 
it's I can do this alone. It's I'm not really an alcoholic. It's it's only because of this happened to me. It's only because that happened to me. Um, those are alcoholic thinking, right? And but knowing that I'm an alcoholic and identifying is good. I am I I can say to people I'm a recovered alcoholic because I'm not thought that like the 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 thought of a drink has been has has been lifted. The root cause, the fear and the selfishness and the self-centeredness has gone away to, to some extent. Um, and I work on that all of the, the, the time. Um, but are we victims? You know, the things that have happened to me, you know, growing up in that in that household, you know, am, am, am I a victim? Um, it was shitty that those things happened to me. It was it was shit. Um, and it's shit that they continue to happen to, to, to children today. And they cause trauma. I'm not here to deny anybody their trauma or to say that I can fix that trauma. But I do know that people who have, when they have addressed that trauma, become powerhouses. They become powerhouses of love and healing, you know, where they heal. And then they help others heal. And is what happened to me shit? Yeah, but it's also one of my greatest assets. Getting sober in a in a drunk tank or not in a, in a penitentiary, one of the worst places you'd ever want to be. But I can go into a jail today and I can say, "Hey, brothers, I've been where you are. There's a way out." It's this wonderful story of the of the active alcoholic who's walking down the street, feeling very self pity and remorse, and oh, I can fix this and I can do this, and he falls in this hole. And he can't get out of the hole. And he looks up, up and, he's, and there's a, a priest that walks by. And he says, Father, 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 please help me get out of this hole. And the priest looks down at him and says, here. And he throws down the Bible. Can't get out of the hole with the Bible. So he's still screaming, I can't get out of this hole. I can't get out of this hole. And this businessman walks by with a briefcase full of money. And he throws down the briefcase full of money. And the the, the alcoholics sitting there with a Bible and a briefcase full of money still can't get out of that hole. Help me, help me, help me. Please get out of this hole. All of a sudden, another alcoholic walks by, looks at the man. Please help me. I can't get out of this hole. I got a Bible and a bunch of money, but I'm still stuck in this hole. Alcoholic jumps into the hole. Holds the man's hand, says, it's okay, brother. I know the way out. Let's do this together. That's what real recovery is about, is all about, is two people who identify with the same illness, helping each other, forget the rooms, forget the meetings, their people, their places to be of service and to help people. But when you find someone with a similar story with you, you hold their hand, chain style, and they help you. And then guess what? Your right hand pops out and you help somebody else. And that is the journey of recovery and healing. And that's the beautiful part of it. So I, I just want to give hope to, to, to people who are struggling with that. There is a way out, but you need someone to help you. And that's what we're here for. It would help if I unmute. Uh, you know what, when you're describing that, that is applicable to any coping mechanism, not just alcoholism. It's drug addiction, tobacco, it's uh, sex addiction, it's uh addiction to uh your stories or your victimhood it's addiction to or it's attachment to any of those aspects that are blocking us from 
being in flow and experiencing our lives uh, to the fullest. Wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. You know, I think that's a, like, you know, the hurdles that we have, the things that block us. Um, I'm just thinking about the, you know, the, all, all of the, the, yeah, the things that block us, that clog us. You know, I often think about the, the, the sink, you know, in the U-bend in the sink. And that's fear. You know, when it gets clogged Guilt, with hair, shame, and, hair and, and fat and grease yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's where I was at 45 years old, full of resentment, full of fear, full of just ugliness, full of self-pity. And then this wonderful man showed me how to unplug it. And then these beautiful steps in 10, 11, 12 helped me cure, keep it unclogged. Um, and then again, you just kind of become this flow. And I think that's where we talk about the fourth dimension of existence, living in the now, living in the flow. Life is happening. We're on this huge rock hurtling through space at tens of thousands of miles an hour with disease and hunger and drought and politicians who are idiots and corporations who control us all and we become monopolized and we become a commodity too. You know, life is happening. Parasites that burrow into, into, into eyeballs. You know, life is life. Um, and shitty things can happen to us. And, 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 and that's our experience. And I think with how we deal with our experience, how we deal with our traumas, um, we need help with, we need community who support us. We need connection with somebody tight who can guide us. And then we need a bigger community where we all polish each other, you know, through this human experience. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I... Well, it's a, an extension to it, and it ties it back to the the importance of uh, having your tribe and your connections. Um, so, we when we're looking at the challenges of technology, where kids are sitting, you know, they think they're connecting. But I know my oldest daughter; she always talks about, well, used to anyway, uh, how she had all these friends online and you know, managing service on uh, Discord and all of that. And I'm like, well, don't you want to go out and connect with people in person and like experiencing them in real life? But because she's, you know, autistic and so forth, that was what she could muster at that point. Now she's developed and she's kind of getting coming out of her shell. So now she's engaging uh, much more in real life, as it were. Um, so it, I'm, I'm not too concerned about the children because we wake up at some point and say, you know what, connecting with someone in real life is much better. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're going to go back and they're going to play their blocks, uh, Roblox and they're going to play their Minecraft and, uh, Hey, I'm a becoming a Roblox King, dude. <laughs> <laughs> my my kids are trying to rope me into it, and I'm oh, like, I got, I I love it. I'm uh, I'm a six year old now who who's like he he only loves me now because I play Roblox with him. But right, right, right. And my fiance thinks is oh Nick, you don't have to, you don't have to. I'm like oh, it's okay, I like it. I actually just completed one the other day, a Ninja Warrior. I right. actually beat him in it, so now he thinks I'm like he goes, oh, Nick, you're 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 a pro newbie now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem for me and the computer games is that that that's my addiction. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, when I was a teenager, I would sit and play like 
all night through and uh so yeah i try to and it's it, they they do kind of uh I stay away from them because I know what they can do to me. <laughs> well, then, uh, that's a that's a PS5 right down there. It's collecting dust. So yeah, well, I <laughs> refuse to buy any of those. So it's like nope, nope. Because <laughs> I, I know I'll sit there and I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to play one more game. Oh, just one more game. Like you were saying about the drinks, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, that's the uh, dopamine hits, and uh, uh, you get into that. So, but. Uh, I think they it's just a different way of approaching connection that you you have your online friends and then you have your real life friends and you but you I think you know my children at least they at some points they turn put their uh, gadgets down and they go I want to go and play in the park. Okay, go ahead, you know. So I think they regulate that quite well on their own. But I think as adults we uh, we kind of tend to lull ourselves into this full sense of uh connection especially with the the lockdowns that we've had and that we can meet people all all over the world i mean we have people on here today we're in the uk and we got people from the caribbean and america and uh, all over the place right so it's it's just like you're saying reaching out and asking people for help and say you know what I would really love to connect. Can we have a coffee? You know, I, um, Patty Biblet, the, the UFC fighter, mm-hmm. I don't know if I saw that the, the video that he did when he won it two weeks yeah. ago. And, um, he's like, I wish my buddy would have only reached out. Mm-hmm. And we always tell people, reach out, reach out. If, if you're feeling that, reach out. When I was sitting alone in my apartment in Toronto, seven years ago, let's say April, April, 2016, there was no way I was going to reach out for help. I wanted death. There was no way I, I didn't have it in me to reach out for help. So I think the really important message here is for us to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. You know, we always sit there and go, Oh, if he wants it bad enough, he'll call me. If he's sad enough, he'll call me. You know, if he's going to kill himself, he'll call me. There's no way I was going to reach out for help. I was too ashamed. And I think that, like I, t- I try to tell people now, is to have a list on their fridge. 10 good friends or 20 good friends or 50 good friends. And it's the ones who are like, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's real good. Yeah, I'm happy. Wife is great. Kids are great. Da-da-da-da-da. Reach out. You know, just say, hey, you know, I noticed you said everything's fine. You want to, re- you want to go for a coffee? You, you know, and, and I think this is what we need to be able to do is I was talking this morning to somebody and this will bring me to tears, but I had a beautiful niece, wonderful niece who's, she died at 21 years old and uh, it was 11 years ago, beautiful human being, talented, but she had this propensity to lie and to uh, attention seek when she was like very young. And I'm her older uncle. And she would lie in attention seek with me. And she would tell me lies of like, oh, I won this marathon. And I, I played in this orchestra. And I did these things that I knew were not true. Do you know what I did when she lied? Turned my back on her. Because I knew she was attention seeking. And my knowing back then was when people were looking for attention, ignore them. 
because you want you, you they were they were finding attention in a wrong way and i was going to teach them a lesson i wouldn't do that today i'd give her a hug i'd say well done mm. good for you Our, we we've lost language of help me. I'm not doing very well. We've lost the language of how are you? Are you okay? And meaning it. We need to hold each other, help each other learn language, help each other process emotions. Because the language has been lost to a large extent. Was I being mean to her? I wasn't intentionally being mean to her. It's all, the, it's all I knew then. Well, isn't that kind of how we approach uh, raising our children as well, mm. by and large, that stop crying, you know, don't be so sensitive. We, we're trying to Whenever some level of emotion or some attention seeking or whatever it may be, we, we kind of try to balance it by counteracting it mm -hmm. as opposed to balance uh, to balancing it by approaching it mm -hmm. and, uh, and embracing it. Right. Yeah. So if the kids are, if the child is, acting up because they are like you say they're trying to get attention we mm -hmm. look at the manifestation of the behavior as something bad as opposed to why are they behaving like that why are they manifesting that and embracing that mm -hmm. instead of the and it's you know it it is how we are raised in the society. If we look at medicine, it's all about how can we heal the symptoms? Mm -hmm. We don't look at what is causing the symptoms. That's the mentality of our society. As opposed to when you go to the other societies and they're looking at how can we keep you healthy? Yeah. Right? How can we move? How can we solve the the challenge? What if this manifests? What is the cause of it? What is the source of it? Mm -hmm. So, I think what you've experienced there. I think all of us have experienced. I know for certain. You know, my children until two thousand exist uh, sixteen experienced exactly the same thing from me. Mm -hmm. You know, bad behavior would be met with their behavior because you know they god darn it they were going to respect me you know it's mm -hmm. like and so you're not looking at things from their perspective you're not looking at things through their eyes and i think that that's the challenge with connecting with others as well if we have a friend who is acting in a way that we're not resonating with or we're not you know, we just look at the behavior. We don't look at what lies underneath the behavior, right? And that's the connection that 
is so important that we connect with the aspect of the person that so when we, I talk about compassion compassion for anybody it's compassion for the the child who has experienced the trauma that causes the defense mechanism to come up or the coping mechanism to come up like you were talking about before Nick that you know alcoholics are seen as weak and lazy and what have you well that is just a manifestation of the symptom of the problem the challenge lies underneath that, you know, and that's what we need to connect with is, is the child version of someone. And we have that problem with ourselves when we're looking back and, you know, perhaps we have a situation come up, um, you know, abandonment or whatever it is. And we look back in our life and we see that we have a situation of abandonment and it might look minor from the perspective of the adults. But when we put ourselves in the child's perspective and we put us, we look through our own eyes as the child, suddenly we start understanding that we are a different person as the child. But we take that with us. We're actually acting like the child when we are met with that same experience, right? So it's, again, it's connecting with the authentic or the organismic self uh, that will allow us to help people move through those experiences mm-hmm. rather than blaming them for whatever they're manifesting at that time, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's one of the problems with society today, that you know we, we are not allowing people to express themselves and allowing ourselves to connect with them deep enough to understand what is the 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 source of that yeah yeah i think we have a lot of questions to ask ourselves and also the world around us you know which is that you know people of our generation have been molded by advertising by molded by corporations and universities that that generated tons of money from from selling the idea that we have to do this we have to do that. We have to do this. We have to get this. We have to have this 2.4. You know, we have to do all these things to be seen as successful. And those pressures were put on us by our parents. And I think we've we've got to start saying enough is enough. And 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 understanding the whys, right? That, mm-hmm. that these are huge corporations that that put these just much like say that you know the diamond trade didn't target women. It targeted men. You know. To buy the the to be seen as being providers and putting a big rock on someone's finger, was, you know we've been we've been drilled and manipulated into this world of advertising and capitalism and consumerism to be seen as being successful, and we've just enough is enough, and and you know to hold and to cherish people to to find their purpose and their passions and and everybody is an individual with their own experiences and their own life to live. And that we just hold each other through these the, these moments, and that we don't actually push people into anything. Um, and that happens in our lives now, but also with our children's lives. And and then we can kind of look at why it happened to the, it, it, it to us, and and were we ultimately happy through it? Um, you know, because yeah, question it, be curious, and and say and and to be able to go that that isn't a truth. It didn't work for me then. Doesn't work for me now. Just like saying just like saying real men don't cry. It didn't work for me then. It doesn't work for me now, right? <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. 
The um, so I think we've uh, we we could go on for hours and hours because there's so many things that we need to unwind in terms of the connection with the human. But I think we've we've gotten to the core of it, and we can at least leave some uh, people with some tools to go out into their tribes and their networks and start connecting on a deeper level uh just being humans right um so nick from your perspective what what are some of the uh kind of things that you want to leave behind on on the in today's uh discussion i think having tools and routines are really important i think um finding things that work for you are important so try new things be curious at the core of these protocols, what I have known is that morning routine and evening routine are very important. Um, asking for guidance, asking for gratitude, practicing gratitude. Gratitude, when you look it up, is, is being appreciative for something and then doing something about it. Mm. I appreciate this beautiful day, but what am I going to do with it? Oh, I'm going to go see if there's anybody out on the street in Soho that I can buy a coffee for. You know, practicing gratitude is being of service. Little things like that help me a lot. I think that five to, sorry, 10 to 15 minutes every morning is a, a, a must to just say, hey, I'm showing up, guide me. That's it. <laughs> then sit in meditation for 15 minutes. Whatever comes to you, comes to you. Um, so those are the, the, the little things and practice your own versions of them. Um, but as simple or as complicated as you want, I think ending the day with with meditation and asking is is really really amazing. And and um, I'm now uh, curious about food. I'm curious about nutrition. I'm curious about um, you know the things that I put in my body and treating my body with a little bit more respect. So stay curious. I think that's the thing. And, and just to know that we are all on this journey and, and, and I don't believe anyone ever figures it out. I think that we're not meant to. I think that we are meant to have experiences that always question, always challenge. Um, there was a famous psych uh, neurologist in the 60s. I forget his name, Herbert Hubert. Maybe it was on the Andrew Huberman podcast that I heard it. And that's why I'm getting the the H. But basically he studied the brain and he said when the brain is the happiest is not when it's presented with food or sex or sleep or pictures of puppies and kittens it's when it's in a state of challenge when it's being puzzled so stay curious stay challenged and 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 keep taking action and remember that that's what love is uh and and that's what i think about when i have my moments in in solitude and, and i'm always constantly learning and it's uh it's a wonderful journey and i'm glad that we're all on it together and uh, if anyone needs to reach out, I've already exchanged emails and stuff. But if anyone else needs to reach out, I'm here to be of service. And I love you all. Thank you. Fantastic. Uh, Nick, you had a question here. So uh, when you stopped drinking, your body healed itself naturally? Yeah. When you think of the damage that I did with acute pancreatitis several times, there's something that you die from. Um, and for me to end the, the state that my liver was in, I needed to get blood tests done to get my driver's license back. Um, and it wasn't for three years, three years of sobriety that I had my liver tested and my blood enzymes, it came back as a non-drinker. So 15 years of drinking at least a half a bottle of vodka every day and getting to the state that I got into 
my liver came back as a non-drinker. So um, the body's an amazing thing. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, it, it, absolutely. And it, it's, I think it is once you bring your attention to it and you bring the that uh, feeling that you are going to get through and you bring the positive kind of uh, energy around it, that gives it the the environment to enable it to uh, heal. Mm. Right? Thank you for this moment. It, it has been very um, deep and meaningful. And just, I just, I work with children. I used to work at school. Now I work uh, virtually, individually. But um, what you, when you were talking about your knees, touch my heart because that's exactly what why we need a community to learn the different languages that we are um, creating or using out of the lack of language, our common language. And, you know, I remember one of the, I think it was a study where they put someone with a, they were, I don't know how to say this, robbing a Q-tip on a hand and another person uh, using a needle and punching the hand. And the observer was having this, that's where we call the empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Had a reaction towards it. Okay, but that is with something that it's visual, right? When we don't see the fear or or the sadness, the deep sadness in someone, it's quite difficult because they have learned how to mask it, right? So that is when it, it is super important to uh, connect, right, in, in ways that we know. For example, the common denominator is pain. We have all been in pain. We are constantly experiencing pain. So I, I do believe that having, having that in a, in a, in, in the, con in a conscious way, knowing that, you know, words might mean something else for someone saying, yeah, I'm okay. Like you were talking previously, doesn't always mean that you're okay. And that it, it, it takes a little bit of effort or time, extra time to notice more, but that is the part of the beauty of a community in which you get to learn not only about them, but about how you receive that information, how you also communicate. And I really thank you, um, all of you for for having this moment because it brought to me a lot of like what I have been uh, going through with my students when they were uh, not turning the cameras on or when they were not willing to talk. And seriously, I started connected. Uh, I started uh, connecting at three o'clock in the morning, like working and I allowed them to uh, pop up their questions. And that was the time when they had a piece uh, of moment and uh, they would say something, they would reach out 
and say like, it's no one is here right now. My brother is not using my computer and I have the moment to study right now. So can I, can I receive the help or can I have this question? And, and that clicked to me, clicked to me. So like, how, what are we missing here? We really need to constantly, like you're saying, we're changing. So we need to constantly be uh, picking on those um, words and those gestures and those everything, everything. It's, it's the beauty of life as well. We don't have to be afraid of it. We just have to go for it. So thank you for this moment. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate that. Beautiful. All right, Nick, how can people get hold of you? Yeah, um, I'll just put my email address in the chat for everybody. Other um, people on the podcast are not going to be able to see that. So oh, sorry, to, yeah. They, they will go to the uh, show notes to... Uh, for the episode notes to uh, see that but uh, my my website is um re-tribe.com so re-tribe.com um there's phone numbers and emails on that i think the um the email is the best way to get in touch with me uh so yeah re-tribe.com and then um my email address is nick at re-tribe.com re-tribe.com cool yeah. Well, hopefully you'll <clears throat> get inundated with uh, requests because uh, you are a uh, true, genuine, wonderful healing soul that is uh, certainly walking this earth to uh, uh, with a purpose. So we uh, we thank you for being who you are, Nick, and thank you for taking the time to more well, to making the journey to come through what you've come through to be able uh, available to humanity to be of service and uh, of course from a personal point of view i thank you for popping up here today and uh, <laughs> sharing your story and sharing your wisdom and uh, bringing your beautiful energy and as always thank you to everybody bringing your beautiful energies it's uh, always wonderful to sit in this and as i said before you know this is part of my healing journey is to be part of these conversations and they always bring something to allow me to understand something about myself so uh, it's the giving and the receiving right so thank you everybody and thank you nick thank you everybody take care wow what a powerful conversation don't you think i like many people like me who have business mainly online and interact with clients primarily through zoom and other technology we don't really notice the lack of connection it's only when we go out and we actually connect with others that we realize how much it actually means to us and it is one of these things that exist in our blind spots so after this episode i hope that you will take a moment for yourself and look at your own environment your own situation see what you could do to connect more with people nature and so forth perhaps go out and uh, volunteer and connect with people that are in need of your assistance and the specialties that you can bring to uh, uh, humanity or perhaps uh, as nick says go out and hug a tree lay in the grass grounding as we've talked about so many times before is 
really important for our physiological uh, well-being, but of course as well as our mental well-being. So if you are someone who's struggling with connections and uh, in particular addictions, uh, alcoholism, drug dependencies and so forth, please do reach out to uh, Nick uh, via Retribe. Uh, that's re-tribe.com. And um, of course, if you uh, want to work a bit more on understanding what's in your blind spots and where you're going in life as it were, please do uh, visit our website, uh, thealchemyexperience.co.uk and click on the uh, link to schedule a 30-minute free consultation with us. For now, I wish you all the best and I hope to see you next week on Friday as we release another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast at 11.11am 11 11 British time. Bye for now.